I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One of the best weeks in college football. I know we say this a lot, but this truly is when you have these rivalries going, especially and not limited to FSU at Florida, but both starting quarterbacks for the Seminoles and the Gators not going to play and, of course, everybody saw the devastating injury to uh, Jordan Travis. Um, last week, Graham Mertz is also out with a broken collarbone. So it'll be Tate Rodemaker for FSU um, against Max Brown, who is going for the Gators. I don't know what to expect, but Florida State certainly has everything, including a national championship uh, to play for if they can continue to win and stay undefeated. But it's not just that game. Of course, it's Ohio State-Michigan. USF is uh, playing to try to become bowl eligible this week against Charlotte. So a lot at stake in college football. We're going to talk about all of it with Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times and TampaBay.com coming up in just a second. couple of moves by the Buccaneers. First and foremost, let's say this. The NFL has flexed their game next Sunday, not this week, but next Sunday against Carolina at home. That game is now at 4 p.m., uh, ostensibly because it's a bad game <laughs> and CBS uh, doesn't have the doubleheader. And so they're trying to uh, push a better matchup to their viewers at one o'clock. They moved the Broncos Texans into the one o'clock window. Yeah, much, much better game. The, the right. Broncos, by the way, have the, have the, uh, at least the AFC's longest winning streak, maybe the NFL's. Mm-hmm. I think they've won uh, five in a row at this point, uh, four or five in a row. So, yeah, that's because uh, when I saw that, I go, usually you get flexed because you're a more attractive game. Mm-hmm. Not this time. Well, if you got flexed to be more attractive, it'd be the 425 game in the doubleheader slot. There you go. This is yeah. the 405 start. Right. So presumably yeah. only the Carolina and the Tampa Bay markets will see the game and maybe a few markets where Fox had exclusive in the 1 o'clock window. So CBS mm-hmm. didn't get to air a game there. So Yeah. I'm not happy about it because, well, it's just made I missed dinner um, with the fam. But that's okay. So also, and if you're paying attention to some of these moves that uh, we posted about regarding the Bucks, there's some significant tells here, I believe. And that is that the Bucks waived tight end David Wells from their 53-man roster, and that was so they could promote, if you will, or sign linebacker J.J. Russell from their practice squad to their 53-man roster. Why is that significant? Well, when you're moving a linebacker up from the practice squad, that means you've got one down. And we know that it's Levante David, and everybody has to move up a notch, right? Servaccia Dennis was the guy that went in and played for David when he became injured. It is a groin injury from what we understand. Those are very, very difficult to heal. We don't know the severity of it, but um, I would say that you know, just sort of evaluating the injuries just by how they occurred and what I watched – Jamel Deans was also very serious. Uh, I think the second most serious was probably Levante David. Uh, so the Bucks made room by releasing uh, Don Gardner and another safety, uh, Jaquan uh, Johnson, from the practice squad. They also signed a bunch of guys to the practice squad, including um, a uh, former Citadel wide receiver, Riley Webb, 
Uh, Seahawks linebacker Vi Jones, who the Bucks he made his NFL debut in Germany last year on special teams, and former Kentucky and Patriots cornerback Quandre Mosley. So again, signing a cornerback because both starting corners got hurt last week, promoting a linebacker from the practice squad because Levante David is down. I guess if there's any good news, and we'll find out today at, at practice or this morning, is you know I think Tristan Wirfs, of all those injuries, uh, he came back in the game and finished, and I think he's very sore, but doesn't look necessarily like he's going to miss the game, which would be obviously huge for them. But they're going to certainly have some new players and new, new spots on this roster for Sunday's game at Indianapolis. We'll get to Matt Baker here in just a minute to talk a little Florida State. Of course, the injury to devastating injury to Jordan Travis. But first, uh, you guys know that for the past 14 years, the skilled pros of May Electric Solar have been installing solar energy systems in Florida. Now, they provide the most reliable solar equipment, the best installation methods, and service while helping homeowners cut energy costs with environmentally friendly investments. May Electric Solar uses their own skilled employees, never subcontractors. They've always offered the safest and the most reliable equipment. Well, now May Electric Solar offers a 30-year no-cost equipment replacement and labor warranty. That means for 30 years, May Electric Solar, backed by Solar Insure, means your roof, electrical, and equipment replacement is covered. Solar Insure even survives May Electric Solar and is owned by the homeowner with no deductibles or additional fees. This policy will transfer to the new homeowners with no fee. It is not a blanket insurance policy. In fact, only the best contractors are allowed to be part of this program. May Electric Solar's reputation and history of workmanship has earned this membership. To learn more about May Electric Solar's installation and their 30-year warranty, call 727-819-2862 or visit mayelectricsolar.com. Well, one of the best weekends in college football, I don't know, Matt, Like this is the weekend that like, I find myself with all the games on, and I'm just beginning to maybe put up some of the Christmas decorations. You're probably got your whole house done. The lights are on, right? Is that not is that... not yet? Uh, I'm uh, my my kid was asking about it. You saw the the Christmas light penguin thing in the garage, and like, yeah, I'm not there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't have time for that yet. Let's let's. I still get got me through this now. weekend, man. <laughs> Correct. Survive and yeah. advance, baby. I heard you. Well, it is surviving in advance for a lot of these teams. Of course, it's rivalry weekend, and, and we've got Florida State visiting uh, Florida. Of course, we'll talk about Ohio State, Michigan, all those games coming up. But let's start with FSU. Matt, I don't know that I have watched a more disheartening injury, and, and not just obviously the gruesomeness of it is one thing, right, when you see a, a, a player who's you know obviously has a major foot injury or leg injury. Uh, because of the grotesqueness of it all. But, I mean, here they are in a rather meaningless game, you know. Um, and I don't know that Jordan Travis should or shouldn't have been playing at that point. I, I really don't even know. But I knew that they were going to beat, you know, they were going to win that game no matter what. And so to have that happen to an undefeated Florida State team uh, that is so alive in this national championship hunt, and what Jordan Travis, and, and you can speak to this, just like the legacy that he has built at Florida State as a quarterback, it's devastating uh, on, on so many levels, but especially for him. For, for it to happen against that opponent on senior day, something mm. that grotesque with everything at stake to that player, yeah, I mean, it's it, devastating is a, is a good place to start as we try mm. to, to put it to put put it into words. And mm-hmm. 
I don't think we can overstate the impact that Jordan Travis has had on that program. I, I don't know where, where Florida State season is going to end up. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I don't know where Mike Norvell's FSU career is going to end up. I don't know if he's you know going to flame out, win three national championships. I, I don't. I don't know. But it's easy to envision Jordan Travis being one of the most influential figures in the history of Florida State football. That is not a stretch. Where they were when he got there, how bad they were, the, the turmoil that they were going through under the Taggart era, the turmoil and, and just bad football they went through un, under Norvell as well the first couple of years. To go from that, and, and I always go back to the Miami game in, in 2020 where they ran some gadget play. and like, I think they like lined Jordan Travis up at receiver and did like a reverse flea flicker to him and he was trying to throw it and it, uh, Jalen Phillips swallowed it, and, and that was that. I mean, they were resorting to gadget stuff with this guy because, A, the team stunk, and, B, they didn't know what to do with Jordan. So to go from that to where Jordan leaves FSU, you know, second all-time in wins, first in, in touchdowns responsible, and, and, and all this stuff, it, one of the great players in the history of the program, and to be the, I mean, he and Norvell are the, the two central figures in that turnaround that I think has FSU back and we'll see where that goes down, down the line. Cause you know, they could still make the playoff this year because, you know, in large part because of what Jordan did, you could see this as the foundation for Florida state being a perennial contender in the coming years. And you could see this year as one of the springboards that gets them into the big 10 or sec, whenever that new world order shakes out and all of that, Jordan had a hand in. So that's why I think his, his impact is so large and why, the injury for it to happen on that day against that opponent, all that stuff was just so, I'm just gut-wrenching. You just feel awful. Yeah, we don't even really, you make a good point. We don't know ultimately um, how much Florida State will continue to benefit from what he has accomplished. Um, but he's not going to be on the field. And I, I got my, you know, I, I'm not going to change high school football, which then moves up to college football. And now we're seeing it in the NFL with these quarterbacks are just great athletes that also can throw the ball. And, and so, you know, the fact that he's playing against that opponent and he gets hurt running it, which is even more dispiriting in my my opinion. So, you know, he's done at Florida State. He said his goodbye. Um, we'll see what, what the next, you know, situation is for him with respect to the NFL and all of that. Um, but unfortunately, and this is the this is the nature of football that I don't like, but it is – absolutely part of the game um you're no longer there so somebody somebody's injury somebody's misfortune is opportunity for somebody else and that person god bless him i can't imagine what's going through his mind right now or his parents or anything like that but tate rudamaker is going to be the starting quarterback and he is not in any way shape or form jordan travis nor does he play outside the pocket the way travis did so this this is going to require not just a lot of him, but a lot of the entire offense and the staff to to sort of recalibrate their offense a little bit, right? Yeah, for sure. It's kind of the opposite of what Florida is going to do with going from from Graham Mertz to Max Brown, and we'll we'll talk about that more in a second. But yeah, Jordan Travis was obviously a great. He was a great athlete before he was a great quarterback at Florida State. I think if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tate is is more the opposite. That, that's not to say he's a statue. He's not. He actually played a little bit of receiver in, in high school at, at Valdosta High up in Georgia. Um, but he is more of a, a pocket passer. So, yeah, it's going to require Norvell to do what 
I think Norvell does as well as anybody in the country. And that's figure out how to use the parts he has. You know, Tate has a different skill set than Jordan. Okay, fine. How are we, Florida State, how are, how, how are we as a coaching staff going to figure out the best way to magnify Tate's strengths and minimize his weaknesses? And again, I think that's what Norvell is so good at, where it's, it's not just the quarterback. He'll do it with the running backs and the receivers and the tight ends. It's just that this is going to affect a lot more because it's not just like one package where the running back's over here and one where he's over here. No, th- this is the way the entire offense flows. And it's going to result in a chain, you know, tweaks to the chain, to the playbook and kind of figuring out what Tate does better than, than Jordan did. And just kind of, I think it's going to be more downfield passing. And it, and it has to be just because that was Jordan's kind of relative weakness. And uh, Florida State's not going to be plus one in the run game the way they were with, with Jordan Travis. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, University of Florida also has a quarterback situation where Graham Mertz is, is hurt, and so um, they have to make a change as well to Max Brown, who is from Tulsa. He was part of Napier's first uh, signing class, as you mentioned, in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. Um, how has he looked in the in the brief times we've seen him? What can we expect uh, from this guy Um you know, I, I don't know what the Gators have left to play for, quite honestly, but it is a rivalry game, and, and that's always the biggest game of the year at Florida. So tell me what we can expect from the Gators, who, by the way, just a de- – you don't talk about Dev. Like, there was a bunch of things that happened last Saturday. That game against Missouri, I don't know that, 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 that ETN could have played – I don't know that they could have played better and still lose. It was just heartbreaking is what I would say about that if I'm a Gators fan. Well, okay. Let's let's start let's start there because there, there's a lot to say about that. Uh, it's not the first time that Florida has kind of snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, <laughs> right. and I think that's the way they did. And and the concerning thing is that we continue to see Napier's team be very bad at situational and, and organizational stuff. You know, the, the procedural penalties was it a yeah. false start to start the fourth quarter and then burning yeah. a timeout to, to avoid a delay of game. You know, some of that's because you got a new quarterback. And I understand there's going to be hiccups, but it's not like that's the only time that's happened. You know, right. ETN running out of bounds on third down with a minute and 40 seconds left in, or right. so um, to save Missouri a timeout. Like that, that, again, on its own, it's is it the end of the world? No, it's not. But that's just one of many things that we've seen. And then, the fourth and seventeen debacle. I mean, it's inexcusable. Except this type of stuff keeps happening over and over, and it's going to lead to a lot of soul searching this off season. Um, and you know, Arkansas game for me is when Florida kind of started to change, but the Missouri game in a different way um, just makes it leads to even tougher questions and more scrutiny and, and tougher evaluations that Napier and, and the rest of the Florida administration are going to have to do in the company. Um, and part of the dispiriting part of it was that Florida had a chance to win and, and arguably should have. And, yes. and some of that is, is due to Max Brown. Um, he is very athletic. He has an absolute cannon. We saw that in the spring game and mm-hmm. you know what little bits of practices we, we've been able to see here and there. He's got a cannon. There's no question. Um, and he's a very good runner too. You know, he, he's a form, he's a, a baseball guy as well, an outfielder, um, he averaged, I think it was about 10 yards per rush Saturday against Missouri if you take away the, the sack and the fumble. Um, mm-hmm. No, obviously Missouri didn't quite know what his skill set was. They hadn't prepared for him the way that 
Mike Norvell and the Seminoles are going to. But he just adds a different element that Florida's offense didn't have with Graham Mertz. No. The trade-off is that Mertz was a leader. He was experienced and you know was, had one of the best completion percentages in the country. So that's going to be the kind of the trade-off there is, uh, you know, Max Brown, you know, his, his athleticism being a boost, but the inexperience, I think some of those things are probably going to cost him on the other end. And, I guess it's good for both teams that they both have backup quarterbacks. That's kind of sort of a wash in some way. Um, it's just unfortunate for you know anybody involved with the programs, anybody who likes the sport and loves this rivalry, that a game of this magnitude with Florida State's playoff hopes still on the line and the Gators' bowl eligibility still on the line comes down to backup quarterbacks. Yeah, you'd love to see them both at full strength because i got to tell you, uh, that game being in Florida and rivalry games being what they are, uh, I would have loved to see those two teams go at it full strength. But as it is, Florida has an opportunity. Look, that Missouri team, they took to the to the mat, and they did some things I haven't seen all year. So not knowing exactly, like both teams aren't that familiar with these quarterbacks, obviously. Um, could that be an equalizer? I mean, obviously, if you had Jordan Travis, I mean, the game's different, and, and maybe the same is true with Mertz. But it's got to be a little bit more advantage Florida in this case, right? Because Florida State doesn't know quite what to expect. I mean, they're a better football team and a better program. And also, along those lines, how much is Travis injury now going to get into that committee's heads where they say, yeah, Florida's undefeated if they if they went out and, and win the ACC, but they don't, let's be honest, this is a TV show and they don't have the marquee guy at center, under center. Is that gonna is that gonna factor in people's heads? Yeah. Well, let's start with with that part. And the answer is no, it hasn't yet, but it will be relevant. Relevant is the word. I'm looking at the the uh, playoff committee's protocol mm-hmm. procedures, something or other. It's extremely important and very 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 official. Um, <laughs> so the the fifth thing that the playoff committee is supposed to discuss when it comes to kind of comparable teams is other relevant factors such as unavailability of key players and coaches that may have affected a team's performance during the season or likely will affect his postseason performance there you go so if jordan travis won 10 of those games now he's out they're not as good you can you can leave them out is the argument do i think they'll get left out if they went out probably not there are still scenarios you know, maybe Texas wins out and looks really good and Bama beats Georgia. There's scenarios that you could come up with. But realistically, a 13-0 Florida State team that, that wins the ACC beats a top-10 Louisville team, I think they're in the playoff. But, you know, Tate Rodemaker's got a chance here to kind of cement it, right? Where mm-hmm. if he can show, no, I'm not Jordan Travis. No, we're not the same team. But we're still just as good. And we, we're just, you know, a little bit different flavor. Um, if he can do that, uh, there is precedent for this. 2014 Ohio State, they they were down two starting quarterbacks and down to Cardale Jones heading into against Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game. Uh, the committee chair at the time kind of said, you know, that's something we're going to evaluate is, is how they look at quarterback. Well, they won 59 to nothing. So I guess they did <laughs> uh, decent, I, I would suppose. And then the committee chair, was Jeff Long at the time, said afterwards that um, – that type of performance, you know, kicking the crap out of Wisconsin out of your third quarterback, uh, quote, spoke volumes about the strength of the team. And that's why Ohio State got the fourth spot, and they ultimately won the national championship. 
So there's precedent for a, a bad injury or injuries in a team responding the right way, that being kind of a nice little, I don't want to call it a feather in the cap, but a little boost, a little bonus that the committee sees. Now, the flip side is Tate could struggle, could not be as good. Maybe they beat Florida by a late field goal and squeak by Louisville. And then, you know, Bama crushes Georgia or something weird happens elsewhere. And, and it's a, it's a different story, but um I, I, you know, we're, we're recording this Tuesday night after the committee's uh, ranking show and all that stuff. My thought is the same in terms of FSU's playoff chances. If they went out, they're probably went in. It was the same before Jordan Travis's injury. It's the same afterward. Now it's harder mm-hmm. to see them winning out, but yeah. if they're able to do that, I still think they're going to be in. Well, that's, that's good to know if you're a Florida State fan that uh, that that the path is still there for you, and you'd hate to think that an unfortunate injury like that would would take it away from the rest of the players. But that that is that is one of the considerations. Uh, one more chance for USF and Alex Golish to get uh, that much needed win to be a bowl eligible. They didn't get it done in UTSA. They play a three win Charlotte Forty ers team at home Saturday night. How big is this for Goalish to to finish this season the right way? It's huge. You know, just when we kind of looked at USF at the start of the season, we've talked about it. I didn't see them as a bowl team. So if they can get that and the momentum and, you know, the the exposure and all that stuff, that's going to be huge. But when we looked at them at the start of the year, you're kind of going through the schedule and that's probably a win and that's probably a loss. Charlotte is one that I definitely kind of thought was a win. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they were moving up to the, the American, moving up in the, the group of five world. First year coach in Biff Pogey. This is one that USF should win. Um, you know, Charlotte's uh, had a couple of decent performances over the year. You know, they, they beat at Tulsa a couple of years or a couple of weeks back and beat East Carolina. And we're competitive for a bit against FAU and, and against Memphis. But they're still not very good. USF is it should be a step better than that. And if they're able to do that and get that bowl, then that's a fantastic accomplishment. I'm curious to see what the crowd looks like. Frankly, um, yeah. Some USF fans think we're you know we talk about attendance too much, but look, that stuff matters. It, it matters in terms of uh, recruiting. It matters in terms of perception from the outside, and matters in terms of conference realignment. And it matters on the field in terms of having that kind of juice from the crowd. And Golish has talked and hinted and danced around it and at points said it directly. They need a full crowd. They need a really good, um, really good attendance and really good fan support at, at Ray J. So I'm curious to see kind of what that looks like on Saturday as this team tries to, to finish the regular season with a bang. Yeah, and one thing he mentioned about the attendance specifically, and he goes, you know, I know we have to earn that, right, and be a good product to get mm-hmm. people to come watch us. He says, but we got 16 guys, 16 players, prospective uh, USF players are going to be at that game. And if they're staring up at empty seats and no atmosphere, that could certainly influence their decision as they go around trying to make their uh, their choices for college. So um, it's a big – and then, you know, you get the extra what? Is it 15 days of practice, Matt, if you if you qualify for a bowl game? Yeah, it's a couple extra extra weeks of that, and depending on how you structure it and how you want to use it, and you know who you're playing and when and all that stuff, a lot of teams use the first bit just for young guys, um, mm-hmm. kind of let the older guys heal. So that's yeah. huge. And you know when you're when you're a, a younger program, and I, just in terms of the coaching staff, I mean here, uh, a younger program, and and you've got some young pups, some some freshmen and newcomers that are still 
growing into roles, that type of stuff is absolutely crucial. And again, for where USF is right now, if they can get to the Cure Bowl or Gasparilla Bowl or whatever it is, and that national exposure, uh, more people talking about them, that can only be a positive thing. I've seen them, at least uh, one writer uh, has sort of like trying to forecast the bowl pairings, has UCF and USF maybe playing in the Gasparilla Bowl, but UCF has more to play for. So what does their last game look like? How how important is it for the, for the Knights? Yeah, it's huge for them too. Um, just because the first their first year in the uh, in the Big Twelve hasn't gone the way they expected. Um, you know, they had what was it a five game losing streak in the middle of the year and uh, a close one against Texas Tech uh, the other day. But to some degree, it wasn't a surprise that they would have these growing pains when you move up from a mid-major into the power five, soon to be power four. But if they can, you know, beat Houston, who's a pure program also making that jump and, and make it to a bowl. Again, that's something that you take. And, and I'm glad you mentioned the, the potential USF UCF um, bowl game, just because that, that's the type of stuff that should happen. Right. I mean, they should make bowl pairings that with games like that, that matter more than if USF played, uh, I'm trying to give a good example here. Arkansas State and the Knights played uh, South Carolina. You know, Georgia Tech, whoever it is. No, give us the give us the interesting games. Like, give us that. Give us LSU, Notre Dame, uh, Brian Kelly. Well, give us that type of stuff rather than the kind of more generic things. Add some more juice to it. Noted that you think Butch Jones and the Arkansas State Red Wolves are not as relevant as say UCF in the Gasparilla Bowl. <laughs> now, 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 you're right. I shouldn't poop who the Red Wolves after they scored, what was it, 77? 77, man. That's like a season know. worth of points up there in Jonesboro. I don't know how many teams have given up 70-something and scored 70-something in the same season. <laughs> I know. But hey, it's, the, that's the the mighty, kind of, mighty Red Wolves. That's the kind of uh, program we run. Uh, Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Um, okay, so there are some other great games. Boy, college football, man. Um, not the least of which <laughs> is the game, right? Ohio State, Michigan, and uh, the Fighting Harbaugh's will be out there, but Jim Harbaugh will not. He he did not have his hearing. Uh, he more or less took his medicine and is not going to coach the final regular season game. Hopefully, he, he believes, and I guess Michigan does as well, that uh, – as they move on from the regular season, that Jim will be back. However, uh, the you know, look, Ryan Day, I look at that sideline and I go, yeah, man, if you lose to them again three times in a row, like without Harbaugh this time, you know, maybe we're focusing on the wrong coach in this game. I don't know. But, um, boy, there is so much at stake, not the least of which is Ohio State right now is considered the best team in the land, I guess. Well, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do with all these 
uh, amazing, amazing blue, I uh, do process shirts, right? Like <laughs> I, that's right. all I heard for so long is, Oh my God, do process. Oh my <laughs> God, do process. And then right. suddenly it's gone. And, and I'll take the deal. <laughs> wouldn't she know it? They, they got rid of a, a, an assistant coach last week. I, I don't know that he got due process. What, <laughs> what right. am I supposed to do? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's the Michigan thing is so wild. I mean, I, I loved it. And what was it Friday when, I think it was Yahoo first broke the story about this mysterious booster named Uncle T who might have like been paying Connor Stallions. Like, of course, it's Uncle T. Yep, that, this this is perfect. This makes perfect sense. Uncle T. Yep. Um, it, it's so it's so bizarre. Um, the, the on field impact of that. And, you know, if, if Michigan's able to to win out, um, the, you know, we talked about the the loss of a player, the loss of a coach with Harbaugh would be interesting to see how the, the playoff committee views all of that. Um, but yeah, the Ryan Day stuff in here is is so crazy just because he has won a gazillion games, right? Um, and when you took him to a national championship game, um, that was in the, the Alabama season. Sorry, I'm pulling up Ryan Day's record. I want to make sure I have it correct. I think it's a thousand and three. Is that what his winning percentage is? Sounds about right. I mean, he's got the best, one of the best, if not the best player in the country in Marvin Harrison Jr. He's 56 and six overall, Ryan Dickens. Okay. And, and, yeah. and yeah, it's 3-0 and oh in, in, in 2018, but, and, you know, 56 and six. And it's won 90% of his games. And, and the consensus among a lot of Ohio State fans is that if he loses to, Ohio, to, to Michigan again, then he's a bum, get rid of him. Mm. It's wild to think that that's the way it is, but that's the way it is. That's the standard at, at Ohio State. I think they're going to win. I think eventually all this chaos at Michigan is going to kind of come to roost. I think there's too much too much craziness there. Uh, that type of stuff takes a toll. I think the loss of Harbaugh is not insignificant. So I, all that stuff adds up, and I, I think Ohio State wins here. But if not, it will be absolutely fascinating to see the discourse going forward around the Buckeyes and Ryan Day. Because let's not forget, if they let's say they lose by a last-second field goal, and then Michigan crushes Iowa in the Big Ten Championship. Depending on what happens elsewhere, you can talk yourself into Ohio State sneaking into the playoff here the same way they did last year. And we know what happened last year. They were a last, you know, again, a last-second field goal away from, from making it to the national title game, where, by the way, they would have crush TCU so that's how small the margin of error is and that's just why the stakes of this game in particular are so high again yeah it's it's absolutely crazy and and um, I'll say this about this game I I've watched Michigan uh, probably a little more than Ohio State Matt I don't I don't know that you can slow down their physicality when they when they get to pushing you around and running the football like they're capable of, it's going to be, that's going to be the test to me. Like in Ohio state, I know they can score points. I mean, I know they got, like I said, they, they've got a great wide receiver and, and maybe the best in college football, but can they stop the physicality of that Michigan team? I mean, it is on both sides of the ball. It's a force. It is a force, but Ohio state's defense hasn't exactly been a slouch. That's, um, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, Look at the last couple games. Three points to Minnesota, three points to Michigan State, 16 to Rutgers, 10 to Wisconsin, 12 to Penn State. They haven't yes. given up more than 17 points all season. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah Ohio, the Ohio State's offense gets the headlines, and they should. Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best receiver prospect in a while. 
Um, mm. So, and, and, you know, McCord's gotten better. And I really like Travion Henderson, the running back. I think he's a stud when he's healthy. He's just a, a real home run guy. But Ohio State's defense has been very, very sound. And, and I think, you know, Michigan didn't dominate Maryland last week. Maybe there's some weaknesses there um, to where, again, I, I, I think this will be a, a close a close game. But, uh, I you know, I still I'm going to give the edge to Ohio State and, and we'll see what happens. So and other great rivalry games. Uh, and you can just tell me which one you're you're going to be paying some attention to. I know you watch them all or, or look at them all, but Oregon, Oregon State. Kentucky, Louisville, Alabama, and Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Uh, I might be missing one, but uh, what's at stake in some of these games? And could a Heisman Trophy candidate cement his his trophy this weekend with with a great performance in one of these games? No, I don't think so. Um, the, the best case scenario in the Heisman thing is Jaden Daniels. If he goes out and, and crushes Texas A and M, lights him up for six touchdowns or something he'll be the leader in the clubhouse. Mm -hmm. Um, But his issue is he's not going to play on the last weekend, right? We're going to see, we're we're probably going to see Bo Nix go up against Michael Penix in Oregon and Washington. Right. Um, Which I can't wait for. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm so excited for that one. Um, I'm first of all, first of all, I'm excited for the civil war, Oregon, Oregon state on Friday night. I think that one's going to be fantastic. Um, But yeah, if we look ahead to the potential, Nick's Penix rematch that's going to have huge Heisman uh, ramifications so we'll see what happens there Marvin Harrison Jr. is on my short list and if Ohio State beats Michigan and they play Iowa for the the Big Ten title he'll have another chance there so I don't think anything's going to get wrapped up just because I don't think I think Jaden Daniels has been the best player in the country so far Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know that he can seal it yet the way that like Lamar did and I think kind of earlier in the the 2016 year um yeah we, but just in terms of the other matchups oregon oregon state i really like that matchup um just because oregon state has been so sound all year like they're not spectacular in any one thing they're just really good across the board and i, I think i saw that bo Nix hasn't completed less than 70 percent of his passes in any game so far it's unreal which is just, yeah it's it's yeah it's mind-boggling um, and again, we talked about Jordan Travis as a player who improved so much over the course of his career. Oh my goodness, yeah. Bo Nix! I mean, he was he was so up and down at Auburn, and I saw him play pretty decent in the Swamp. And was that 2019? And, but he was it didn't work at Auburn, and he goes and gets a fresh start and has Oregon in the playoff mix. He is his transformation has been absolutely remarkable. So we all get a chance to see that. Um, you know, could take the next step against in, in the Civil War. Uh, Texas Tech, Texas on, on Friday is an interesting one for me, just because Texas as a playoff team, I don't know that we talk enough about them. Just generally, you know, mm-hmm. they're what whatever they seventh in the country. Depending on how it all shakes out, that win they had over Alabama and Tuscaloosa is going to be maybe the trump card that leaves Alabama out and, and gets Texas in the playoff. So, but obviously they have to take care of business against Texas Tech. Um, Kentucky Louisville is an interesting one just because that's a, one of the cool SEC ACC rivalries. And I still don't have a good read on the Cardinals. You know, I watched a good chunk of the, their game against Miami live just cause I was, you know, I had a rare quote unquote off bye week or whatever. And I got to see a good amount of them. 
they play really well in spurts and their defense is, is, is very sound at times. And I like their, their running back as well, but kind of barely beat Miami like that. I didn't love that you know, week before they barely beat Virginia. I didn't really like that either. So I, I don't have a good read on them. Um, and, and, term, and that's important as we sit here in Florida, because they're going to play the Knowles in, in Charlotte on December 2nd with, with huge things at stake for, for FSU potentially. Um, Trying to think if there's any other, you know, Washington, Washington State, the Apple Cup. I'm glad that one's continuing, and you know, it's another That's chance to too, see, yeah, yeah, to, another chance to see uh, Michael Penix. And then the last one that kind of interests me, just kind of an oddball, but Iowa State, Kansas State. Um, you know, Rocco Beck from from Wiregrass Ranch High School has played very well for the Cyclones, mm-hmm. and Kansas State to me one of the more underrated teams in the country, just because they've been, you know, when they've won, they've been dominant and some metrics have them as a top 10 top 12 team yeah so i'm curious to kind of see how how that uh regular season ends with those guys and the big 12 just an absolute cluster so we'll see how that shakes out we're still a ways from the conference championships matt but like could, could you see i mean this weekend i don't remember this whole this whole college football thing because we're going to expand the playoffs you know after this year but like there could be scenarios that happens this weekend that throws this whole thing into absolute chaos, right? I mean, chaos is still oh, yeah. a likely outcome. It is certainly a possible outcome. Um, you know, we, we look now and there's five undefeated Power Five teams, and and one of them is going to sort themselves out between Ohio State and Michigan. So the clean answer is that the four, you know, Washington, Florida State, and and, and Georgia and Ohio State slash Michigan. They, they win. Those are your four playoff teams. Boom, done. But that is not how this stupid sport works. It is not. <laughs> so somebody's going to lose. Somebody's going to get upset. Maybe somebody's. And right. there's going to be weird scenarios. And we're going to have to pick between, again, a 12-1 and Texas that hasn't looked great the last few weeks uh, versus a 12-1 and Alabama that lost to Texas in, in week two. How much yeah. better is Bama now than then? Like, those are the types of conversations we're going to have to look at maybe a one loss Georgia that loses a close one to Bama in the SEC championship, but was dominant all season comparing that to 13 and 0 Florida state or 12 and one Louisville. Like there's so many weird scenarios that can happen here. And that's what makes it so fun. And we're going to get a lot of this. It's going to be different next year um, with with the, with the 12 team playoff, with the way conference realignment moves stuff around. Right. Um, Because the PAC 12, is going to be pretty much dead. And we'll see what happens with Oregon State and Washington State. But moving from Power 5 to a Power 4, the team structuring is going to be different. Um, I don't think we've, I don't think we have a good understanding as a sport how this new world order of um, divisionless football is going to shake out in conferences. Like, you need a, a freaking PhD in statistics and mathematics to understand the Big 12 tiebreakers. I think like five teams are still alive or six teams are still alive to make the Big 12 title game this week. Mm. Um, Texas is the easiest. They win, they're in. But if they lose or Kansas State does this and Oklahoma does this, and, and there's so many scenarios because they got rid of the, the divisions. And we're going to see that going forward. Like there was this, you know, go back a few weeks. North Carolina could have been undefeated in the ACC. Louisville and Florida State could have been undefeated in the ACC. That right. wasn't an outlandish idea. You got three teams that didn't play each other. Only two of them get to play for the conference title. That's the type of stuff we're going to see going forward in the SEC and the Big Ten and some of these. So 
that's just even more chaos we're going to see in, in the coming years. But yes, as it relates to Saturday and, and the next Saturday, weird stuff is going to happen. I don't know what. Um, I can only hope Uncle T remains involved in some way, shape, or form. And, and more importantly, that everybody stays healthy. How about that? Yeah, that that that's the main thing. And, and regardless, that Florida-Florida State game now has tremendous intrigue and uh, mystery to it because of the injuries to both their starting quarterbacks and particularly uh, just uh, absolutely heartbreaking one for for uh, uh, for Jordan Travis, but uh, Matt got, Baker uh, will. Sorry, I've got yeah. I've got one more little bit of in- intrigue around uh, the, the Florida Florida State game. Um, I-, I called up Tate Rodemaker's dad the other day. Um, he's okay. a, a former high school coach, or he's an assistant now um, up in Georgia. Because Billy Napier mentioned that he knows the Rodemaker family very well, uh-huh. so I called up Tate's dad, Alan, and heard some very cool stories um turns out that uh they the families do know each other very very well um because tate's dad uh you know alan rodemaker worked with bill napier billy's dad uh, billy's late father for like 25 years um not not in the same high school but coached against each other in georgia high schools and coached at the same summer camp for again for 25 30 years and uh Alan told me this story. It was 2016 or so. Um, Bill Napier had uh, Lou Gehrig's disease and was in a wheelchair at this point. And everybody knew there wasn't a lot of time left. So they'd been working together. And at some point, somebody calls uh, Tate's dad over and says, hey, look, go, go over and watch, uh, watch Bill Napier work out with this kid. So according to, to Alan, the last kid of, of all the hundreds or thousands of quarterbacks that B- Bill Napier worked with over the years, the last one he worked with at this camp was Tate Rodemaker. Um, and, and, you know, Mike Norvell recruited Tate at uh, Memphis and then Florida State. Billy Napier recruited Tate Rodemaker um, back when he was at Louisiana Lafayette. And, uh, Billy actually reached out to Rodemaker's dad after the Louisville game last year where Tate had to come off the bench and lead him to a victory. Just like, you know, congratulatory text. And, you know, Alan could not have possibly said anything nicer about Billy just like those are the best people on the planet. And I, I know his dad. I know he, who he comes from. I know who Billy Napier is. You're not going to find a better person out there than that. And so I thought that was just kind of a cool little, uh, yeah, interesting. cool little element to this this bitter bitter game. The fact that there's so much, so much real genuine mutual respect for these families. Well, respect is one thing, but he'll be sending the the hounds after him and trying to. <laughs> to oh, of course. To, to uh, get his kid on the ground as much as he can, but yeah, it should be it should be a fascinating game. Matt Baker will be there, of course, in Gainesville on Saturday as this crazy college football uh, season starts to wind down, and then of course the conference championships after that. Matt, safe travels, my man. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much. You got it. Thanks, Rick. Going to be a great weekend of college football. The Lightning uh, play the Winnipeg Jets. That'll be tonight. See if they can continue their momentum from that exciting Boston Bruins victory the bucks will be back at the practice field getting ready for their game on sunday against the Indianapolis colts they've run out of opportunities or are running out of them they're going to have to start winning some of these games uh against teams like this gardner Minshew against baker mayfield i am there for that in indianapolis on sunday so that'll be interesting as well and we're going to be taking some mailbags this week. Uh, it will be easy to do that if you send them to us. So uh, you want to go via Twitter at Sports Day Tampa Bay. You can reach me on Twitter, or I guess they now call it. What do the kids call this uh, thing now? X. It's, not, it's X. You can reach me on X uh, at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. 
Force University Economic Strata, Tampa Times. Have a great day, everybody. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.